Welcome home. It is so good to see you. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, please, to our today's passage in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, uh, beginning in verse 7. Beginning in verse 7. And we're going to look at three verses here, Lord willing, today. Uh, but I want you to pay special attention to verse 9. Pay, pay special attention to verse 9. Let's look at that together. We're going to read uh, all the verses together, but I'm going to focus in on 9 when we're done here. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. Look at again the beginning of verse 9. Do not be carried away by many varied and strange teachings. You know, today many within the church have really began to minimize the importance of teaching sound doctrine in the church. Often doctrine is thought to be boring, irrelevant, and divisive. Some see to even see it as unloving to teach doctrine and something that Christ would have never done, they say. The emphasis today is on coming together where we can all agree rather than dividing over doctrines where we disagree. And this can be couched a lot of different ways, such as we prefer to focus on the essentials. Or we try not to major on the minors, but instead embrace our love for Christ. You kind of hear the subtle messaging in there of we're not going to be bothered by those sticky issues of doctrine that might we might have to wrestle through a little bit, do a little digger, a little uh, deeper digging. Uh, we're just going to focus on the stuff that is not hard to work on. We're going to talk about love and grace and mercy and kindness and joy and happiness. We want to spend a lot of time on those things. So those same folks will tell you to say that when you say I'm right and you're wrong over doctrinal matters, that just smacks of pride and intolerance on your part. You're very quickly labeled a fundamentalist or a legalist or some other kind of ist. The very idea that any doctrine could be objectively and universally true runs counter to the, to the modern culture mantra of there is no universal truth, only individual truth. In other words, you see it your way, I see it my way, never the two shall meet, but that's okay. One commentator put it like this way. You like chocolate, I like vanilla, that's okay. But is that really how God's word is given to us? Is it given to us like a shopping palette, if you will, where we just get you know, an array of colors, if you will. We just kind of pick the flavor or the styles that you like. You pick out the doctrines that you like the best, and you just let the other stuff. That's okay. If you don't believe that, that's all right. Just come on in and fill the pew anyway. It doesn't really matter what you believe. Today, we, in today's church, we view spiritual matters as a preference, something that we must validate with how we feel before we decide whether it's truth or not. Now, this entire epistle, I want to remind you, has 
that we're almost, we're almost done with now has been all about strengthening those who professed Christ but have been tempted to fall away, to apostatize is the Greek word there, to apostatize and to return back to Judaism. And to that end, I want you to remember now the author of Hebrews has spent 10 chapters of what? Doctrine. I mean, 10 chapters of heavy doctrine. You know it. You slug through it with me for however long it's been. I don't even keep track anymore. We just, uh, you know, we have until the rapture, okay? And so we're just going to keep plowing through. How Christ is better. Why, he's better than anything they ever had, anything they thought they had in Judaism. And that returning uh, would result in terrible consequences for their soul. That's what the five warnings are about, right? Our God is a consuming fire. That's not a subtle hint. That's a, that's a warning. It's impossible to renew those who have fallen away. Those are hard truths. Well, then soon after, we saw great examples in chapter 11 of those who persevered despite never really seeing the promised Messiah. And then in chapter 12, we were encouraged once again to run this race that God has set before us and not be discouraged because ultimately we are sons and daughters of the king. This isn't our home. We're just travelers here. Our real home is in heaven with Christ. Positionally, we're already there. Practically, we'll be there someday. And then he said, choose wisely which mountain you're going to stand on. Do you remember that? You're going to have a, which, which one is it? Is it going to be Mount Sinai, the law, or Mount Zion, grace? Choose wisely which one you will stand on because that's the one you'll be judged upon. If you plant your feet firmly in the law of Sinai, how many sins does it take for you? Just one. After another sobering warning, again, falling away, we come to chapter 13, where we're instructed how to live that faith out. And just quickly, remember what we learned so far. Verse 1, living out our faith means we love our brothers and sisters. We don't just throw that term around lightly. We are to consider each other family because we are. We are connected. We are blood relatives. And when I mean blood relatives, I mean blood relatives through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are family Verse 2, we saw that living out faith means we demonstrate hospitality to strangers. We're to imitate Abraham's example as a model host, especially to those within the household of faith. We're to be hospitable to all people, but especially to those within the household of faith. That's his point. Verse 3, we saw living out our faith means we demonstrate compassion to those who are suffering. And we have a few of those, not just physical suffering, which is where we tend to put all of our focus, but people specifically in the context here, people who were suffering because they were standing for their faith. Many in the early church were in prison for their early faith. He's reminding them that their connection to these imprisoned people is not just symbolic. They were to be there, to comfort them, to minister to them. Lastly, in verse 4, uh, I shouldn't say lastly because we have another one. Living out our faith means that we demonstrate purity both inside and outside the covenant of marriage. We spend one whole Sunday talking about that. And then finally, verses 5 and 6 is what we looked at last week. Living out our faith means that we live in contentment with what God has provided for us. We are to be content, whatever that is. 
with what God has provided for us. So in our text today, in verses 7 and 9, hopefully you're there now, we see that in order for us to live out our faith, in order to persevere to the end, we're going to need to be prepared to stand firm. We're going to need to be prepared to stand steadfastly is actually uh, the word in our text. It's what it means. And stand firm, stand steadfastly on what? On the truth of God's word. On the truth of God's word. Now, my friends, Satan has always attempted to infiltrate the church with all this false teaching. This has been going on since the very, very beginning. He tries to undermine God's grace through Jesus Christ. If you buy into the modern idea that doctrinal truth is just a personal preference and it's really not that big a deal, then we're joining these early Hebrews who are in danger of being carried away by strange and diverse teaching. So to deny the importance of sound doctrine makes us a prime target for the enemy's attacks. God desires that we be steadfast, that we be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That we are rock solid on what we believe. And that what is primary as a believer, what is central to everything we believe is the truth of God's word and the truth grounded in Christ Jesus. And everything else, my friends, is just noise. So that's what our text is about this morning. How do you persevere in a world filled with strange teaching? And not just the world. He's really focused on those that have infiltrated the church and are teaching strange doctrine. So with that as our background, hopefully you find your place now in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 to 9. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer, asking to bless our time in his word. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, again for your grace upon grace. Lord, I'm so thankful for all of our family who are here today and those who are watching at home, Lord. We pray that we will be united together soon. I pray, Lord, that you would watch over us, keep us safe, Lord, but keep us abounding in the work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be with us now, Lord, in this hour. Help us to put away all the distractions, to focus in, Lord, on the truth of your word, and then to apply it to our lives, our lives first, Lord. Instead of, there, instead of sit, thinking there, as we sit there, thinking, boy, that truth, really, somebody else nearly needs to hear that. We should, as always, Lord, look at our own hearts first. And say, Lord, what would you have me do with this truth? We don't want to just be hearers of the word, Lord. We want to be doers of the word. So be with us now in this hour. May you be glorified in all we say and do. In Christ's name. Amen. Let's look here now at verse 7. We know verse 9 is the problem. Verse 7 and 8 are going to tell us how to address this problem. It doesn't seem like at first that it fits together, but that's actually what he's trying to do. So verse 7, point number 1, to avoid being carried away by false teaching, imitate the faith of godly leaders. Imitate the faith of godly leaders. You want to avoid being carried away by false teaching? The author of Hebrews says, here's what you need to do. The first thing you need to do is imitate the teaching or imitate the faith of godly leaders. He says, remember your leaders with that identifying phrase, those who spoke to you the word of God. 
And so it would seem, as many commentators have pointed out, that what the writer is talking about is not necessarily their current group of leaders, because he's going to address that a little bit later in just a few more verses, in verse 17 and in verse 24, he's going to talk about their current leaders. But here he's saying, I want you to remember those godly people in your life who brought you the truth. And you'll notice that they didn't stray. They persevered to the end. Do you think they had strange teachings in their life? Do you think Satan was trying to infiltrate the church they were in? Yes. How did they persevere? He says, imitate their faith. Look at what they did. They were not only to remember those in the hall of faith, which were way before them, but to remember those who helped start the church. And the text tells us that we're not just to remember their life in general. Oh, they were a good soul. So thankful for them. What a godly man. What a godly woman. No, that's not what he's talking about here. We're to remember very specific aspects of their lives that will help us to persevere. That will help us to stand steadfastly against all of these strange teachings. These are designated here as those who led who is he talking about? He's talking about their spiritual shepherds, their pastors, their, their elders, their leaders. He says, I want you to notice four things about them. First of all, they faithfully exercised the ministry of the word. He said, I want you to notice that about every one of those who persevere to the end, all of these leaders, all of this faith I want you to imitate. Notice how the word was central to everything that they did. He says, remember your leaders those who spoke to you the word of God. Their ministry was not about great joke-telling and witty memes. It was not about having their finger on the pulse of the culture. It was not about how many Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram followers they had or how many books they've published. It was about this, the word. He said, those are the people you need to imitate. Those where the word is central in everything that they do. It's not about their own ideas or their own opinions or their own preferences or their own feelings. When we look at those people who have influenced us, the ones we want you to imitate, the ones who persevere to the end, you know, they had one common denominator, one of those things, well, they had four, but here's one of them. The word of God was central to everything that they did. They weren't tossed to and fro by whatever was going on in the culture. They focused in on the word of God and they were faithful to preach the word of God week in and week out. They were teaching you the Bible, the whole counsel of the word in season, out of season. And the author of Hebrews is exhorting us to continue to remember our faithful shepherds who preached the Bible to us. We are being here called to give proper regard and for ongoing remembrance of those who first introduced us to the faith because they were unwavering in their preaching and teaching of the word. My friends, God's word is the only source for sound teaching. It is the foundation that we build off of. Yet we live in a day when very few pastors devote themselves to teaching God's word, especially in an expositional manner, in a verse-by-verse -verse manner. Why is that? Well, many evangelical churches, in an attempt to reach the unchurched, have abandoned teaching the Bible verse by verse for fear that some of those difficult doctrines 
may offend people. They aim, the whole church service is geared towards their customer, they call them. And what they want, what they need, how to be fulfilled, how to be happy. They want topical messages on how to get that accomplished. And they don't talk a lot about sin or judgment or anything controversial. And in many cases, their message could have come off a PBS special rather than the word of God. I'm hard on pastors because I am one. And I'm telling you how easy it would be to do that. You should evaluate any teaching by the criteria. Does it explain the test of Scripture in context? And did he tell me how to apply it to my life? Was it the whole truth and nothing but the truth of the Word of God? That's what you want to judge it by. Secondly, notice they live consistently with their faith. He says, consider the outcome of their way of life. In other words, The author of Hebrews is saying, carefully observe how they live their life. He's saying, pay real close attention here. In other words, take careful notes of how they finished. Reflect on the manner of their living and the way they lived and the way they died and the way they finished the race. The assumption here from the text is that these true believers lead their lives in a way that reflected their faith third one, he says, notice this, remember them. You cannot remember people who are not involved in your life, my friends, but you do remember those who are, those who are willing to be there, those who are willing to give of their time again and again and again to be there for you, who are willing to pour themselves into you all the time. He says, remember them. These leaders were personally involved in the lives of their flock. They had a personal and a pastoral relationship with them. They cared about them. They were willing to invest into the lives of others in both what they taught and how they lived. (coughs) Excuse me. Lastly, number four, he says, imitate their faith. Notice he, he doesn't, he says, consider their life. Look at the aspects of their life, carefully observe their life. But then he doesn't say imitate their life. He doesn't say, just go ahead and mimic everything that they did. No, he says this, imitate their what? Imitate their faith. Why does he say that? Because he understands that the way you live your life funnels from what you believe. And what you believe is formed by your faith. If your faith is in science, you have a belief system that believes that science is the answer to all of the world's problems and all of your problems. If science will just get this taken care of, we'll be good to go. We're waiting on science to fix this for me. If your faith is in government, then you believe the government is the answer to all the world's issues, including your own. And what you have faith in is formed by what you believe to be true. And what you believe to be true forms your theology. And your theology determines your ethics and your doctrine. And your doctrine and your ethics determine what you view as the most foundational truth for your daily practice of living. Do you track with me there? See, it all goes back to your faith, doesn't it? What do you believe to be true? 
And so the way they lived their lives was a direct result of their faith. And as it is for us today as well, my friends, it hasn't changed. So he says, imitate their faith, imitate their beliefs, imitate their doctrine, because if you do, you will imitate their lives. Believe what they believe so that you may live like they live so that you too will cross the finish line. That's what he's saying. Follow in their footsteps. Notice they didn't turn back. They crossed the finish line. They kept believing in Jesus to the end. And the author of Hebrews wants them to cross the finish line. He wants them to cross the finish line, believing in the truths of the gospel, grounded, founded in Christ Jesus. He wants you to think about, carefully consider, reflect upon your spiritual leaders, how they lived, how they finished well. We need to think long about those whose lives have been an encouragement and a challenge to us. It's not happenstance that God places people into your lives that sometimes challenge the status quo of what you believe to be truth. I think often about the men and women that God has used throughout my life to grow me up, to disciple me, to make me who I am today, and and he's not done with me. I have a long way to go. The men and women of this church who prayed that I would be saved when we first came here, and I wasn't saved, and my wife was. There were people already praying for I didn't even know them then. How about the men who faithfully discipled me for years, poured into me, met with me every week, pouring truth with me, inviting me to things, always available for me? How about the man who first taught me how to pray out loud, Dan Redka. I'll share many stories about that. How about the worship leader that demonstrated to me what it meant to really worship in a godly way? How about the pastors and elders who taught me the word and how to study it? Beloved, all of these kinds of true believers are in our lives and they have affected not just me, they've affected you as well. They've had influence over you. Consider the results of their conduct, what it meant to you, and then imitate their faith and how they lived it out each day. And pray to God that you'll be that kind of leader, that kind of influencer in somebody else's life as well. Point number one, to avoid being carried away by false teaching, imitate the faith of godly leaders. Point number two, to avoid being carried away by false teaching, hold firmly to the unchanging Jesus Christ. Hold firmly to Christ. Now, at first, when you read verse 7, then you read verse 8, you go, oh, that must just be out of place. What's that doing there? But what the author of Hebrews is doing simply is he's putting in a very concise manner the substance, the object of those godly leaders' faith that you're to imitate. That's what he's saying. These two verses, they are intentionally together. He's saying, What is the foundation of the faith that we're to imitate? Jesus Christ, who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, what's significant about these time periods? We say that verse. We know it well. We see it posted everywhere. Yesterday, God, the eternal Son who created all things, identified with us by becoming a man. He fulfilled the law by a perfect life, then died on the cross as our substitute, making propitiation for our sins, and was raised from the dead yesterday. 
Today, he sits at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. Because of Jesus' priestly work, we have been made holy and we have direct access anytime to the very throne room of God. And he intercedes for us, my friends, today. He will come back forever. He will come back to establish his everlasting forever kingdom in which we will dwell and reign with him forever. The faith that we are to imitate, the faith that the leaders had was faith in the unchanging Savior. In a final word by God through that Savior, in a finished work by that Savior, that truth, that revelation, which came in through Jesus Christ, was sufficient and complete and eternal. It is unchanging. It will never need changing. It will never need upgraded. It will never need edited. He's telling them to not be carried away by whatever the new doctrine of the day is. Instead, they should cling to the unchanging truth of the immutable Christ as taught to you by your faithful leaders. He's saying, quit being tossed around by every new thing. Quit trying to, uh, you know, have a cultural theology. Focus in on Christ. That's what your godly leaders did. That's how they persevered. That's how they made it to the end. He said, you do the same. The unchanging Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for our sins is the perpetual antidote to false teaching. You know how to counter false teaching? Know the word. Know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is immutable. He's unchangeable. That truth, of course, goes right to the heart of the very issue that was facing the readers in this church, right? Because they're changing their minds about who Jesus was. They're trying to transfer their faith to something else. It's the very thing they're, they're tempted to do. It's at this point that the writer of Hebrews, after urging them to have an unwavering faith in the unchanging Savior, that he gets one more opportunity to say, and here's one of the ways that that happens. Verse 9. So again, point one, to avoid being carried away by false teaching, imitate their faith, imitate the faith of godly leaders. Point two, to avoid being carried away by false teaching, hold firmly to the unchanging Jesus Christ. Here's point number three. It is God's grace through Jesus Christ that is the foundation of sound doctrine. It is God's grace through Jesus Christ that is the foundation of sound doctrine. Since Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, the Hebrews are now exhorted to avoid strange teachings, to be carried away, that means to be seduced or caught up with them, which naturally produces an unsteadiness. What strange teaching does the author have in mind here? Look at verse 9. We get a little bit of a picture in verse 9. We get a bigger picture in verses 9 to 14. He seems to be making a pretty clear reference here to the Jewish system of beliefs and practices which they had come from, practices that were no longer acceptable before Christ since he fulfilled all of that. Some of these strange teachings could be Jewish doctrines respecting clean or unclean meats, to be offered or not to be offered on the altar. That certainly fits the context of our verses. Adherence to any of these various food laws 
contained within that system wouldn't accomplish anything. It didn't benefit them in any way, and it would not strengthen their hearts in any way. Only the grace of God and Jesus Christ could do that. And we'll look at that in more detail next week. My friends, believers today, you are bombarded by strange doctrines too. And if you're not careful, it's really easy to elevate something of more importance than the truth of God's word and the foundation of Jesus Christ. You're being told to put your faith in a lot of different things, but not this. This is, the only place you're hearing this is from faithful, godly leaders and churches around the world who are preaching and teaching the word. Many are always on the lookout for the next new thing or the new outpouring of new revelation or the new truth. And they want more than scripture. They go off in search of varied and strange teachings. But the Bible warns us about this, doesn't it? First Timothy 4.1, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and what? Doctrines of demons. 2 Timothy, three, uh, 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from what? The truth and will turn aside to myths. What kind of varied and strange teachings, teachings threaten the church today? Some claim ongoing revelation in spite of the fact that God has spoken finally and decisively in Christ. As he said in the very beginning of Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Some have added human traditions to the word of God. Matthew 15, 3 warns us about that. Some want to go back to an earthly priesthood, an earthly sanctuary, an altar and sacrifice, thereby invalidating the new covenant. The book of Hebrews talks about how ridiculous that is in Hebrews 10, verses 14 and 18. Some openly reject any biblical teaching entirely. Some churches are capitulating to our culture's rejection of politically incorrect, and so they reject any biblical teaching on moral and doctrinal issues. Those are just but a few, my friends. If I had more time, I could probably rattle off another 15 or 20 that are you are battling against. So what do we do? What do we do with all that? How did they understand it in the first century? How did they understand this truth when that was being taught to them? When this was being read to them and they were sitting in a pew, well, not a pew, but sitting in a congregation just like this. How did they understand that? Here's what they would have understood. To avoid being carried away by false teaching, we need to imitate the faith of these godly leaders. The first thing we should learn is the importance of godly leaders. Because godly leaders encourage the saints in ways that enable them to run with endurance the race that has been set before them. Should they do this by continually proclaiming the word of God and by setting an example of godly living grounded in biblical faith? Whereas ungodly leaders seek to obtain and maintain a following by departing from the scriptures and blazing their own trail. How were the godly leaders going to persevere against these strange doctrines? Well, to avoid being carried away, point number two, they were to hold firmly to the unchanging Jesus Christ. 
He is immutable. He will not change. He is all wise. He need not change. He is perfect. He cannot change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is God's full and final revelation to man. And since he never changes, the revelation we have from him recorded in Scripture does not change either. That was Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. Thus all the new teachings which appeal to the gullible are not only unnecessary, they are false. God's word never needs to be updated or edited because times have changed. His word is transcendent through all time. And so new teachings about foods or anything else that set aside scripture and sidetrack Christians are to be avoided like the plague because they add nothing to your spiritual lives. Rather, they turn your attention from Jesus and from the grace that he has provided is provided both in him and through him. Point number three, it is God's grace through Jesus Christ. That's the foundation of sound doctrine. My friends, a changeless savior And a changeless revelation means that we should be suspicious about anything which is new and novel, which has no clear foundation in God's word. Your radar should be, your spidey sense should be tingling when you hear something new like that. No book in human history has been more dissected word by word, letter by letter than the Bible. By far, it's not even close. And yet, the truth of God's word remains just as true as it is today as it was when it was first being put together, when it was first uh, expounded on. These are changing times we live in, my friends, but we are to live according to the changeless truth of God's word, according to a changeless Savior in an ever-changing world. And our changeless Savior is still the way and the truth and the life. And that has never changed and that will never change. He is still the only means of forgiveness of our sins and our only assurance of spending eternity in heaven. He is still seated at the right hand of the Father. He's still making intercession for us. He's still preparing a heavenly city in which every one of his blood-bought children will dwell for eternity. And all false teachers arise Even though godly leaders will move on or pass away, our great high priest leads forever as he who is perfect and changeless. This is how we persevere against strange teachings and false doctrines that are constantly bombarding the church. Godly leaders whose foundation is Christ, whose faith is grounded in the grace found in and through Christ, and his atoning work on the cross. You want to know how to combat strange teaching? Get in the word. Stay in the word. Know the word. And any teaching that contradicts Christ and or his word is false teaching. Put your foundation. Build your foundation. Imitate those who have done just what I told you to do. And you too, my friends, will persevere to the end. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, dear Lord, for the truth of your word.
We are indeed, Lord, bombarded with false teaching. It is so easy to move our eyes off of the next thing, to put our eggs into this basket, to, to think that this is where uh, you know we will be rescued or this will make our lives better. But, Lord, as believers, we're to be grounded in the truth of your word. We're to imitate those, Lord, who have done just that. And I pray, Lord, that we are raising up the next wave of godly leaders here as well. And they will stand firm and be faithful to treat, to share the truth of God's word. That they will influence others, be willing to share of their lives, to pour into others. I pray, Father, that that's this kind of church. That we're a church that is living this out. It stands firm on your truth. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.